In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Nice to see everybody. Nice to see uh, all of you online. If you're uh, worshiping with us this morning, I wonder, uh, are there any Seinfeld fans uh, in, in the house today? Uh, I'm sure they're all watching at home. But uh, you may remember the, the, uh, the episode Serenity Now. No? George Costanza's father, Frank, Frank Costanza, had this incredible, just explosive a uh, boisterous temper, and some of the funniest scenes in all of Seinfeld uh, were of Frank Costanza yelling uh, at other people. And there was uh, one episode where he, whenever he would start yelling at someone, he would look up sort of towards the heavens and yell, Serenity now! And George said, what is that? And, and he said, oh, my therapist uh, has given me a new relaxation technique. And, uh, and so he said, George said, Did, uh, were you, are you supposed to be yelling it? And he said, the therapist was not specific uh, about that. <laughs> if you remember the character Kramer, Kramer took it up too. And he tells uh, Jerry Seinfeld that just, just saying serenity now, serenity now. That it just, it's like the anger just melts away, just all, all the time. Well, um, by the end of the episode, Frank is a, just an angry mess and Kramer is... Uh, curled up in a ball, muttering to himself, serenity now, serenity now. One of the characters said, serenity now, insanity later, which is, you know, but I think on some level, there's, you've probably heard that phrase, I mean, it's, it is, it's sort of famous in our culture, at least, at least sort of my age group anyway, that people came up watching that show, and it's, I think it's because we, on some level, we all want Serenity. We all want a, a state of calm or being untroubled and unhurried, or at least the state of everything being the way that we want it. Um, you know, we, we, everything's in its place. Every, uh, we're on top of our responsibilities. Nobody's bothering us. And maybe I'm just working through my own stuff uh, in, in this, but I, I don't think so because there are entire sections in the bookstores uh, some excellent material, some sort of hokey, uh, devoted to effective uh, productivity, un- uncluttering your calendar, uncluttering your mind and your heart, uh, living the life that you've imagined, and on and on. And it would not be such a huge enterprise if people did not crave what they were offering. And a lot of that material is centered on uh, the elimination of and uh, adversity and stress. Good strategies. But in the world that we live in, uh, in our own lives, we're going to have adversity and stress. Uh, and I just think that while that some, of the, some of that help, self-help resource is sometimes very helpful, it usually is built on the, this core foundation that we're all longing for something. And it just so happens that that something is what Jesus the risen Lord Jesus is offering today freely in our gospel passage, and that is peace. Peace. It's the, peace that, the peace that Jesus offers is not the elimination of adversity and stress, but in fact it's peace in the midst of it. Peace in the midst of it. Three times in our gospel passage, Jesus says to the disciples, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And each time we see 
a something just a little bit different. We see uh, peace that offers forgiveness and then a peace that is employing and peace that is assuring. So forgiving, employing, and assuring. So first, let's take a look at forgiving. When I was in Alabama, I had a friend uh, who was a member of the cathedral there, and he was an architect. And I was, my last year at the cathedral, I was helping out a little church in the suburbs that had a lot of potential. And because he was my friend and it just he was energetic for the Lord's work, he was excited about it. And so he did what he could do as an architect. He drew up some plans, you know, for, for expansion. And I thought they looked good, but we had another, I had another friend from the cathedral who was a contractor. And he wanted to help too, but he actually had some other ideas about, uh, very different ideas about what might go well. And so he hired another architect. And that architect drew up the contractor's plans, and the church loved those plans, and so they went with those. And I just kind of acted as if nothing was wrong between me and my architect friend. I, had to, I tried to convince myself that it was just business. Uh, the church had made the decision, not me, really, and he, surely he understood. But the truth is, I just didn't want to have the conversation. And, uh, and he felt understandably a little bit hurt by that uh, he he felt a little betrayed and deep down I knew it uh, he had done pro bono work for me and for this little church and he felt unappreciated he felt sort of sloughed aside and there was never really a, a, a good conversation between me and him about the church going in the other direction and it was awkward and it was unspoken, but it was just sort of awkward between us. And I noticed that after a while, he kind of quit coming around. And I wonder if you ever had something like that. Where you've done somebody wrong. You didn't, really, you didn't mean to, and you kind of justified it in your own mind. But at least they felt that way. And, and you see them, and it's just kind of uncomfortable. You know, it's un awkward. And it would have been that way, I think, for the disciples. On this Easter night in our gospel passage, they had... They had run off just a few days before, Thursday night. They had run off uh, while Jesus was in the garden. They had not tried to defend Jesus from Judas and the soldiers. And it, it, you know, it might have seemed at the time like the right thing to do. You know, they could have they, you know, saved their own skin, come back around a little bit later and try to help him. But they were just horrified at how quickly things developed. They were this so-called trial that Jesus uh, went through, how then just brokenhearted over the crucifixion. They never got to explain themselves or make it right. So in our passage, that was, that was three days ago, and, and, but earlier on this day, the first day of the week, they, they had heard the women say that the tomb was empty and Jesus was alive, and that would be amazing. Except for the little business about them running away. And then, he's in the room with them. Like, the doors were locked, but that doesn't seem to be a problem for this the risen Lord, and, and, and the, this is the very first time they've seen him, the very first time they've been around him, their very first taste of the resurrection life. And, and, I mean, at this point, they don't know if, I mean, is he a ghost? They don't, they don't know. They would have, they've got to be just scared and, you know, scared about a resurrected dead man, to be sure, but scared about what he's going to say to him. I mean, if a ghost comes back and you've wronged him, that can't be good, right? So, and it's just incredible to me. That his first words to them aren't, what were you thinking? 
Or, you know, you guys, why did you run away? Or serenity now, or you know, something. His first words are, peace be with you. Peace be with you. This is the peace of forgiveness. This is the peace that says, everything's okay between us. And I think it would have been enormously relieving to these disciples, the guilt and the anxiety of having abandoned him. They just, he just kind of puts it to rest right away. Because he died for all that, and he has risen to give them new life. And so if you've got some sort of lingering guilt, something in your life that you think, I mean, how could God ever forgive me for that? Like, I'm not saying that's not a big deal. But I am saying that Jesus' resurrection words to you are, peace be with you. Peace be with you. His first words are forgiving words. He died for our sins so that there could be peace between him and us. My architect friend and I, we eventually talked it out and we bro-hugged and, 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 you know, there was finally peace between us. And I just remember, like, having that conversation, having that hug and just how relieving it was to get that awkwardness out of the way and have that relationship restored. How much more our relationship with God. Jesus' first peace is the peace that offers forgiving. So second, we see what I'm calling uh, employing. Employing. Jesus has shown them at this point the scars in his hands and his side. He's convinced them that he's not a ghost. He's actually resurrected. He's apparently convinced them too that everything's good between them. And so Jesus says a second time, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. That is an extraordinary statement. And then he breathes on them and he gives them the Holy Spirit so that they may be able to do the work that he's sending them to do. So the very ones that he's forgiven, he gives uh, both purpose and power. He's employing them. He's incorporating them into the work that he is going to be doing in the world. You know, most of us, just sort of in a, in a way that is often unquestioned or unchecked, we live our lives uh, just trying to fill ourselves up. You know, and bigger is better. You know, bigger house or bigger car, bigger vacations, and, you know, whatever it is. And listen, those things can be nice. But we are made for so much more than our own good. We were made by God on purpose so we may be employed into His purpose. Part of the peace of God that Jesus is offering is, is to do the thing he has put us on the planet to do. And what's remarkable is he endows us with the power to do it. He gives us his Holy Spirit. Now, I can't tell you what your purpose is, and I don't know what you think the obstacles to that are. But I know this. I know I'd love to pray with you about that. I would love to sit down and talk with you about uh, what you think you're good at and what excites you and, and, and where is the intersection between your gifts and the world's needs. love to sit down with you about that. Part of the resurrection life is serving others. And, and what we find is it's a joy. 
Like, it's not an obligation. It's not something we have to do in order to gain God's favor. It's a grace to us. It makes our life so much more enriching and, and fulfilling. And listen, it doesn't mean it won't be hard sometimes because we've got to work with people, you know. But even in the hard, there is the peace of Christ that reminds us that we are doing what we're called to do. We're doing what we're made for. It's grace. So there's the peace that offers forgiveness, and there's the peace that employs us to do what God has given us to do. And the third time he says it's different again. And this is the peace that is assuring. And this is really the famous part of the story. This is doubting Thomas, right? And many of us, I think, probably on some level, we're analytical. We, we like the facts. We can relate to Thomas. And Thomas hadn't been there on that first Easter night when Jesus had appeared to the other ten disciples. That's what we talked about in the first part of the, um, the sermon. And, and, and he was, for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't buying their story. And it's just, it's kind of hard to imagine what sort of sick prank that Thomas thought they were trying to play on him. Why, why, would, why would they say something like that if it wasn't true? But then again, Thomas knew as well as we do that dead people don't rise. And so maybe he had a little chip on his shoulder. Maybe he was just protecting himself from disappointment. I don't know what it was, but Tom, for whatever reason, Thomas refused to take them at their word and believe that Jesus was resurrected. He said, unless I put my hands in the wounds, I refuse to believe. But a week later, Thomas was with them, which I think is good because, you know, he had doubted, but they didn't, they didn't kick him out of the group or anything. So he's with him, and Jesus shows up again. He's in the room. And what does he say? Peace be with you. We might be tempted to think that maybe that's just how Jesus says hello, you know, but, but we don't see that anywhere else in all the Gospels, any other, any other uh, event. And, and right away, he says, peace be with you. And right away, he offers Thomas exactly what Thomas needs. Like he says, come here, put your finger right here, put your hand in my side, Thomas. And, and, and then he invites them to him to believe. There's no admonishment. There's really no shame. It's just, he just seems really principally to have come for Thomas's sake so that he could believe. Even though Jesus hadn't been there, when Thomas said, hey, I'm going to have to touch the marks, Jesus knows anyway just what he needs. And when he shows himself to Thomas, he offers Thomas just what he needs. Thomas sees Jesus and he hears Jesus' invitation and he proclaims, my Lord and my God. By offering his assuring peace, Jesus removes any barrier of shame or defensiveness or insecurity and instead invites curiosity. He invites curiosity in order to foster belief. And I just, you know, I, I read this story and I think about so many people who haven't been to church in, in many years, you know, before COVID and, and, and they grew up in church and they served the church and, and, but for whatever reason, they just, they stepped away. And we've all got friends like that or family or, or neighbors or whatever it is and, and and, and so now, I mean, they hadn't been in it, so they've got doubts. They have doubts about will, will they be accepted uh, coming back or will doubt, doubts about their faith, doubts about Jesus. 
Can we offer peace rather than acting perturbed? Can we invite curiosity rather than implying condemnation? I mean, we all want peace, right? Serenity now. That's why we, why we relate. But, but life, life in this world is hard. And, and sometimes there is uh, some help to be found in books and breathing techniques and uh, productivity hacks and things like that. But ultimately, we were made for a peace that transcends the difficulty of life. For a peace that cannot be taken away, despite our grief, come what may, regardless of what comes flying at us day by day, we were made for a peace that transcends, for a peace that is forgiving, for a peace that is employing, for a peace that is assuring. We were made for the peace of Christ. And so, friends, wherever you are, whatever it is that you need, Jesus' resurrection words to you are peace be with you. Amen. Amen.